Well, good morning once again, Westridge. We are so glad that you have taken a moment out of your morning to join us. And I know that this is not only going to be shown this morning, but it's going to be shown tonight and then Monday night. So we want to welcome all of you who are tuning in from not only all over our community in Northwest Atlanta, but all over our state, all over our country, and so many people around the world now who have said to us, Westridge Church is now our home, which has been one of, this, one of the most amazing things that have hap- has happened throughout this pandemic, is that so many people have contacted us from India and from different places and said, hey, Westridge is our home church now. So what a great opportunity, and we're so glad that you are with us here today. While I was in seminary working on my master's degree, I got into reading some books by some great pastors and writers from the 19th century. And one of my favorite writers was a guy from South Africa named Andrew Murray. And one of his most well-known books and one of, one of the most convicting books that I've ever read in my life was his book on humility. Matter of fact, the title of the book is just simply Humility. And I've had this on my shelf For many, many years, this book was written in 1895. And in this book, Murray writes at length about the need for Christ followers to just consider others more significant than self. He's speaking on humility in terms such as participation in the life of Jesus and and the only soil in which the the graces root and, and the disposition which prepares the soul for living on trust. And then he said this, and I'll never forget, because I underlined this years and years ago, and I want to share it with you today. He said this, he said, the question is often asked, how can we count ourselves, uh, others better than ourselves, when we see that they are far below us in wisdom and in holiness, in natural gifts, or in grace received? Now, apparently, Andrew Murray not only knew how our minds can work against us, but he also had the guts to put our true thoughts into words. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the lies and the narratives and these false things that that we have allowed to come into our minds that have created toxic, toxic thought patterns that shape our emotions and our attitudes and our behaviors, which eventually become our actions. And every week we've been replacing those lies with truth, truth that reflects the word and the mind of Christ. We've talked about how how the power of strongholds, how they can cause us to believe something that, that we think to be unchangeable, even though that belief goes against, it is contrary to the will and the word of God. And we've discovered that we have have this divine power within us because of Christ to destroy these destructive fortresses that are in our minds. We also talked about how we are tempted to use things like busyness and distractions to keep us, to de- keep us from dealing with the truth about ourselves and how we need to learn. The truth is we need to learn to be still in the presence of God. We talked about how we've chosen this false narrative this, that says that if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. And so Because of that, I'm going to choose to self-isolate or I'm going to keep people at a distance when in fact, we were created by God to be known and to be loved. And then we talked last week about how our minds can, can be consumed with anxiety and fear and doubts and how we can choose to replace those things with, with what's true about God, his faithfulness, his goodness, his unconditional love. And, and we talked about who we are in him as his children and how he really sees us. And we talked about what's really important. And these are all the choices that we have to make 
if we're going to replace the lies and the false narrative that honestly have just worn us out and enslaved our thoughts and our emotions for far, far too long. I love the heart of Jesus when it comes to all of these challenging toxic lies and these false narratives and these burdens. Listen to this invitation he gives us in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And he says, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then I love this. He says, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that awesome? He says, listen, throw all your cares, throw all your burdens, throw all of these fears, throw all of these toxic emotions on me. And he says, I will give you rest. And then he says this, he says, learn from me. He says, because I'm gentle and I'm humble at heart. Now, what does that mean? It means being more interested in serving the needs of others than having your own own needs met. It means seeing ourselves as less important. Together, gentle and humble in heart mean unselfish humility. Now, one of the biggest lies that the enemy is currently feeding our culture, especially this current generation, is the lie of self-importance. And the flames of that lie are being constantly stoked by social media or the shows and movies that we watch or the the YouTube videos we watch or the podcasts we listen to or the self-help books that we read. We are constantly being fed this lie that says that the, the more important I am, the better life will go for me. Listen, from the beginning of time, the enemy of, uh, has been inviting us to taste the fruit of self-importance. And the temptation is to find our identity and self-worth, which, which, which today translates into likes and followers and retweets and shares or a building of platforms or a building of a brand or somehow making a name for yourself. Because as as the lie goes, the more important you are and the more self-esteem you have, the better your life will go. And yet what Jesus calls us to is to embrace just the opposite of that. To embrace unselfish humility. He calls us to die to self. He calls us to take up our cross and to follow him knowing that our identity can only be at rest, can only be healthy when it is anchored in him alone. Here's the truth that replaces the toxic, toxic, toxic narrative of self-importance. The truth is this, the more I choose God and others over myself, the more joyful and happier I will be. Let me read this very convicting quote out of my little, my little yellow book here for just a moment. Andrew Murray says, humility is perfect quietness of the heart. It is to expect nothing to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. I wish we could just take a moment and just stop and let those words sink down deep into our soul because they're rich. Oh, they're so rich. But I want to tell you something. They're very difficult and they're very challenging. Why? Because humility is, is on the complete opposite, opposite spectrum of the ways of the world. Listen, it is hard to imagine a life of being totally at rest and totally at peace instead of a life that is jockeying constantly for position or approval. 
But I love this truth from author Jenny Allen. She says, we weren't built to be the center of our own worlds. Instead, we were actually hardwired to, by the creator himself to choose God and to choose others over self, to put the needs of others over selves, to, to see others as more important than ourselves. We were created to live lives like Jesus of unselfish humility. And according to Jesus, it's in choosing that life that we actually find the joy and the happiness that our hearts really, truly long for. Now, before you tune me out, before you switch channels, before you yell out the word impossible from wherever you are watching from today, I wanna show you a powerful, practical, real life, real life example of what it looks like to choose God and to choose others over self, to, to actually choose unselfish humility and what that looks like. Well, in the book of Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul, who by the way is writing from a jail cell chained to guards, he gives us this example in the life of Jesus and he answers the question of the day. How can I live a life of humility? And he says in chapter two, verse three, he says, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, if you're taking notes at home, I want you to write down, I want you to write this down for a moment, okay? In order to live a life of humility, we have to make the right choices, and in making the right choices, we have to say no to some things and we also have to say yes to some things. First of all, we have to say no to selfish ambition. Paul says, do nothing. Nothing means nothing. Do nothing that would purposefully promote you over someone else. Do nothing to make yourself look better at the cost of making someone else look worse. Listen, there's nothing wrong with ambition. What Paul's talking about here is selfish ambition it's the attitude that asks what is in this for me and then he says this do nothing out of vain conceit say no to vain conceit that's the attitude that asks who's noticing me who's liking me on social media how many people are following me how many people are retweeting me do people think I'm important do I have a platform do I matter in this world am I powerful am I successful am I strong now listen this is tough this is a huge struggle in the world today. Christians, we like to take all of that and kind of rephrase it with this attitude. You know, it's kind of more acceptable, more acceptable terms like, am I doing great things in the kingdom of God? Or, or am I making God's name famous while all the while our thoughts are drifting subtly back to being centered on self, being centered on our goals, our dreams, our successes, our importance, our influence. Listen, this is where comparison begins to creep in and it just wears you down and just sucks the joy and the happiness right out of your life. One of my favorite Bible commentaries noted that the words vain conceit actually mean empty glory. When the underlying goal of your life is to be noticed, to be important, it leads to nothing but empty glory so Paul says he says listen say no to selfish ambition say no to vain conceit but he says listen we also have to say yes to the importance of others Paul says humility is considering others considering others more important than yourselves now there's a lot of misunderstanding about humility but I think this verse really explains it listen humility is not about putting yourself down it's not about having a martyr's complex humility is not about considering others 
somewhat important. You know, sometimes we think, wow, listen, I've reached this point in my life where, where I, I'm actually starting to notice that other people actually exist, that other people actually really do have feelings as well. I, I must be really getting humble. That's not it. Humility is actually considering others more important than yourselves, period. Humility is not putting yourself down. It is lifting God and other people up. Joy comes when we put others above ourselves. Joy comes when we can truly rejoice with other people's successes and their victories. So we say yes to the importance of others, but we also say yes to the interest of others. Listen, there is such freedom in choosing humility over self-importance. See, when I choose to be humble, I love this, I don't have to be awesome. I know that in today's culture, it's just, it's just vogue to be awesome. Today, it just seems to be our goal to make everybody feel awesome, to feel special, to feel important, to feel enough. The problem with that is we don't see that mindset in scripture. Instead, what we find is that, that the only place that we're actually going to find our enoughness is in Christ alone, period. Now, listen, I know that flies in the face of everything we're being told in culture and maybe flies in the face of everything that we currently believe. But I'm gonna tell you, there is freedom. There is peace when we, can, when we can rest and say with all honesty, I don't have to be awesome. I don't have to be important. I don't have to achieve greatness. I don't have to change the world. I don't have to be a pastoral rock star. Amy and I don't have to be a ministry power couple. I mean, listen, if anything, the Bible says that when we are weak, we are actually strong. When we are weak, the power of Christ is more evident in us. I mean, to be brutally truthful, the pursuit of awesome is just overrated. It is taxing and it is draining Humility reminds us that only Jesus is awesome. I love what Jenny Allen writes. She says, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we get his awesomeness as part of the deal. We get his righteousness. We get his forgiveness. We get his rest. We get grace for our souls. Humility reminds us of this truth that says, relax because your only hope is Jesus. <laughs> when I choose to be humble, I can see people as God sees them. Humility takes my mind off me and allows me to consider others. It allows me to notice the people in the world that God has actually called me to reach out to and to serve. It allows me to see them with this fresh perspective. It, allow, perspective. it allows me to, to actually see their needs. I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He says, our, our own spiritual beauty may be very much measured by what you can see in other people. Humility also allows me to treat people as Jesus would treat them. Well, then the question would be, well, how did Jesus treat people? Well, the apostle Paul gives us this beautiful picture of how Jesus did this in verse five. He gives us the right example to follow. We have to, we have, to have the right, we have to follow the right example. Here's what he says in verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We have to have the mindset of Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's what the apostle Paul says about the mindset of Jesus. He says he put the needs of others above his own. 
Instead of using his power and authority for his own gain, Paul says that Jesus actually took all of his power and all of his privileges and he put them aside. He actually released them for the sake of the people that he was eventually going to come and serve and die for. He also looked to serve rather than to be served. Paul says that Jesus actually emptied himself. In other words, he purposely gave up his rights as Jesus, the son of God, to become Jesus, the man. And the role that he took on as a man, catch this now, was the role of a servant. Listen, throughout the first four books of the New Testament, you don't see people serving Jesus. You don't see that. He wasn't allowing it. In almost every instance, we see Jesus serving. We see him doing miracles. We see him casting out demons. We see him doing healings. We see him forgiving of sins. He took on this role of a servant. But he also sacrificed everything for the bigger picture. This is one of the most amazing places in the entire Bible. Paul says Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient and he sacrificed his very life on a cross for us. He chose to die the most humiliating kind of death known to mankind at that time so that you and I might have life. He endured death on a cross so that you and I could experience eternity. We could experience eternal life with the Father. He actually became sin so that you and I could receive forgiveness of sin. He was rejected by the Father so that you and I could be accepted. He went to the cross and sacrificed everything with the big picture in mind, which was what? Redeeming mankind back to the Father. Reconciliation between us and God, fixing what had been broken. Listen, that's unselfish humility. And then finally, Paul says, he let God take care of the rewards. Verse nine says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Listen, if you're watching on Facebook, that's where you just punch that little button that just sends up the hearts, right? It just sends up the hearts. Listen to this progression of events. Jesus released his rights as the son of God. He took on the form of a servant. He then became obedient. He died the worst death you can imagine and then he let his father reward him have you ever done something noteworthy before and it just bothered you to no end that you didn't get recognized for it and then you attempted to try to let everybody know in kind of a nonchalant way that you did we've all done that before the worst thing about all that is when you get actually caught trying to reward yourself the example of Jesus says Choose humility regardless of what happens and let God take care of the rewards. Psalm chapter 84, verse 11, he says, listen, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. What that says is that God is the one that bestows honor and favor. If, he wants to, if God wants to give honor and favor, it's his to give, not us to go, ours to go out and just grab for and seek after. And he makes this promise. He says, listen, he's not gonna withhold any good thing from those whose walk is right before him. Listen, I'm not gonna lie to you. Humility is a tough assignment. Outside of biblical faith, humility just almost appears to be lunacy. I mean, who wants, who's gonna check the box that says less power, less prestige? Who really wants to exalt others over themselves? Who, who wants to turn down awesome? Who wants to turn down important? But the truth is, 
our lives were not wired for power and prestige. To be honest with you, we can't really handle it anyways. Our hearts are not really after power. They're after contentment. They're after peace. They're after joy. Listen, the, the lie and the deception that we buy into all the time is that is, is, if somehow I'm important, I'll experience joy. Somehow, if I'm powerful, I, I'll experience joy. Somehow, if I'm successful, I'll, I'll experience joy. But all you have to do is look at the entertainment world or you look at the sports world or you look at the political world and you can see that that is just not true. I mean, shoot, you can look at the world of mega church pastors and I will tell you firsthand that it's not true. Jenny Allen writes this, he says, joy comes when we lay aside our power and rest in God's. Joy comes when we put the emphasis where it belongs on God's awesomeness and not our own. Listen, thank God that he offers us grace in the process, right? Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble. Today, I want you to know the Father invites us to take on the mindset of Jesus, to actually have the opportunity to choose unselfish humility he tells us to have nothing to do with selfish ambition or, or or vain conceit he says say no to those things and then he graciously invites us to say yes to the importance and to the interest of others above our own why why so we can rest and we can have peace and we can live in the truth and the truth is this the more i choose god And the more I choose others above myself, the more joyful and the more happier I will be. From wherever you are right now, would you just bow your head for just a moment? And with your heads bowed, can I ask you to do something? It may seem a little odd in your living room or wherever you are at the moment, but would you just put your hands out in front of you? And would you just turn them over? Just take them and turn them over and say, Lord, today I, I choose to follow the example of Jesus, this example of unselfish humility. And today I empty myself of me. Lord, I die to my need to feel important. I die to my need to be successful, to be powerful, to be noticed. I die to the need of self-worth, Lord, I die to the the need to have self-esteem. Lord, I want to be filled with you. Take your hands, put put them up now and say, Lord, fill me. Lord, because of Jesus and because of what he's done for me, Lord, I can rest in his awesomeness. I can rest in his righteousness. I can rest because he's important. I can rest in in the fact that you've called me to, to lead others to notice him, to put the spotlight on him, to put the glory on him. Because Lord, when the glory's on him and not on me, when the importance is on him and not on me, when the worthiness is on him and not upon me, Lord, the burden's off me to perform. The burden's off me to put the spotlight on me. And in that I can rest, in that I can find peace and I can find contentment and joy. Enough comes because Jesus is enough. 
If you're here today and, and watching and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your personal savior, your rescuer, your redeemer, it's why he went to the cross for you. With your head bowed, would you choose to humble yourself before the Lord right now and just say, Lord, right now I come before you with a humble heart and I recognize you as the savior of the world, as the son of God, as the Messiah who came to provide forgiveness of sins. Lord, I cannot reach God on my own. You came to bridge the gap. And so Lord, with a humble heart, I confess to you that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Lord, I confess to you that I need something in my life more powerful than myself. And that someone is Jesus. And right now I invite Jesus to come into my life and to take up residence inside of me. And Lord, I humbly confess to you that I need a savior. I need a rescuer. I need a redeemer. I need grace that I don't deserve. And so Lord, I put all my faith and my trust in you alone. And I ask Jesus Christ to be my savior and my Lord. And Lord, thank you for allowing Jesus for sending Jesus to come into the world, to release himself from his rights as son of God, to take on the form of a man so that he could humbly come to serve those that needed to be served, to point people to you, denying himself, knowing that there was a bigger picture ahead and allowing you and trusting you with the rewards. I thank you for Jesus today. And it's in his holy, precious name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I think of what Jesus did in Philippians chapter two and in the way that Paul described it, it was reckless. It really was. Think about it. The son of God coming to earth, came as a baby, took on the form of a man, a humble servant, literally almost took off his crown the son of God, put it aside, took on the form of a human and said, Father, I'll go and do what they can't do on their own. I'll release this tremendous honor that you've given me of being your son for the opportunity to go and serve those that don't deserve to be served. I'll be obedient. I'll be obedient to you, Father even to the point of death. Listen, that's reckless love. It's reckless love to abandon such prestige, such power for the sake of those that don't deserve it. But that's what Jesus has done for us today. Praise God. Just because of that, you know what? We can give our lives to him. We can serve him and we can trust him. We can trust him because he has come after us with a reckless love and in return, we can love him back with that same kind of love. Let's sing that.